Well, I tell you what, I am ready to to lose the cough drops. I'm I'm ready to lose the cough, the everything else that's come along with it. I'm ready to get back to normal. I don't know when that's going to be, but I'll tell you what, I am ready any day for it to just leave. Amen? Amen. I'll tell you what, as we continue our journey tonight through the book of John, uh, you know, I like to stop from time to time because there's some questions that get brought up along the way. And, and tonight's really one of those nights. And one of the questions I've been asked here lately is about the Sabbath. Jaden, our secretary, had asked me about it, and Debbie's even asked me about it, and, and some questions that surround the Sabbath. And, you know, I get questions like, should we keep the Sabbath, or why don't we keep the Sabbath, and why did Jesus heal on the Sabbath? And, and last uh, two weeks ago, you heard Trenton uh, preach on the man that was healed at the Pool of Bethesda, and he had a... Uh, he had a problem with the Pharisees that day because he healed on the Sabbath. And we find that in John chapter 5, verse 16. We read, Fright from the Scriptures, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. So we have many other verses in Scripture where Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Rob just preached on one last Sunday. If he was paying attention, another uh, another time, Jesus healed a man. It's found in Mark chapter 3. This time, Jesus went into the synagogue. Man was crippled. He had a crippled hand there. And some people were there wanting to see Jesus do something wrong. Isn't that just like some Christians to stand back and watch the crowd to see what the other Christians are going to do wrong? Well, that's what the Pharisees were doing here in this, this little version of that. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the crippled hand, Stand up here in front of everyone. And Jesus asked the people, Which is right on the Sabbath day, to do good or to do evil? Is it right to save a life or destroy one? But they said nothing to answer him. And Jesus kind of got angry at the crowd. And then he kind of started feeling sad for them because he realized they were just a bunch of stubborn people that didn't know no better. And then he said to the man, let me see your hand. And the man put his hand out for Jesus, and, and it was healed. And then the Pharisees left and began making plans with the Herodians about a way to kill Jesus. When we have these questions about the Sabbath, we have to look at what's going on here and the way the Pharisees looked at the Sabbath and the way that Jesus looked at the Sabbath were completely different. In Exodus 20, we find that God says this about the Sabbath. In verse 8 through 11, it says, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath for the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, not you, not your sons, not your daughters, not your male servants, not your animals, and not your cattle, or no strangers that come into your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that was in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. And we find that again in Exodus. Now God is God, and he is all-powerful. Did he really need a day of rest? kind of a funny question you know the only time that i really remember god resting was when he was in human form and even then he was in a boat and even then there was a storm of brewing but he slept right through it because he is god after all he knew that everything was going to be fine but god is god right i mean we're talking about the god who created the universe we're talking about the god who just breathed stars out one time god got some stardust in his nose and steezed 
and created a whole new galaxy. I mean, we're talking about a God who is all-powerful. He breathes out stars. The Bible tells us that he does this. You know how many stars are in the Milky Way galaxy? Over 100 billion. How many breaths is that? That's just the Milky Way galaxy. How big, is, how big and powerful is God? Does God really, I mean, after all that work, I might want to rest too. But our God didn't create the Sabbath as a day of rest for him. But he rested on that day to be an example to us that this is what he wanted us to do. God wanted to give us a day. He wanted to give man a day where he could restore himself and he could reflect on God. Now, the Shabbat is the original Hebrew word for that. And we know, if, if you've been watching The Chosen for any time, you know they call it the Shabbat. So what is, the, what is Shabbat? What does that mean? Shabbat is, is the Hebrew word. We use the English word Sabbath. This is the word that we hear them use on The Chosen. It's to cease. It's to end. It's to rest. That's what it is. The word is, is you know, it's, it's just linked to the seventh day. It is linked to the seventh day this, this, the, after the sixth day of creation. And, this, and that is how it's used in the Old Testament. All through the Old Testament it is used this way, as a day of ceasing, a day of rest. Shabbat is the, is the most in, important holy day on the Jewish calendar. And it is kept every week by the observant Jew and some others. And it's not just uh, once a year. It's, it's every week. And God put a great emphasis on the Sabbath as it is... <clears throat> is referenced in the scripture numerous times. Exodus 20 is the first time we, that, we, that we get it, but many times throughout scripture we see this word Sabbath. So it's important to God. It was so important to God, they actually imposed a death sentence if you didn't keep the Sabbath. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So if you didn't observe it like you were supposed to, then there was a death penalty applied to it. You'll find that in Exodus 31, 15. And this is where the Jewish leaders, I believe, they get their idea that, that they can kill Jesus because of what he's doing on the Sabbath. And really the two themes that govern the Sabbath are to remember and to observe. It's the, <clears throat> it is a, a, a commemoration of God's six days of creating the universe, and then he rested. And it's also the fact that they were led out into, out of the wilderness. God wanted uh, them to remember their Egyptian captivity. In Deuteronomy 5.15, we find it says, And you remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. So it was also a day of remembering that they had been delivered. So now we get the, the, Jewish, the, the Jewish people observe that they also remember that freedom comes from following God. So this theme of freedom and being free in Christ and liberty in Christ is going to be something that we'll look at even further on in tonight's sermon. So many people who who don't observe uh, Shabbat associate it with a ceasing of work. But the, but the observant Jew, he holds it, has got more of a meaning to it. It means quite a bit more. Shabbat is a, is a time to stop work, but the work ceased so they could devote and they could concentrate solely on the spiritual aspect of life. <clears throat> we look back at those, you can look back at those verses and, and why did God say, did he said, remember the Sabbath and he said to keep it holy. 
So it's, it's, it's about God. It's not about man necessarily. So it was a focus on man. But over the years, the Pharisees, they added all sorts of things to God's law. They, 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 they took it and they distorted it and they changed it into something that, that it really wasn't. You know, the Jewish law prohibited doing any work or deliberate activity on Shabbat. With some exceptions, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a minute. Activities that uh, contribute to a, a personal profit or, or gain was forbidden. And Jewish, uh, the, the rabbin, uh, rabbinical uh, tradition lists 39 other ways that you were supposed to not work on the Sabbath. And it's a pretty interesting little list here. You're not to plow the earth. You're not to sow. You're not to reap. You're not to bind sheaves, threshing, winnowing. Selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, washing wool, beating wool, dyeing wool, spinning, weaving, making two loops. Weaving two threads. Separating two threads. Tying, untying. Trenton, you couldn't wear your high-top sneakers on Shabbat. So Saturday sneakers are out. You can't untie or tie your shoes. And most of them are high tops, right? So you can't, they're out. Those shoes are out. So can't wear high top sneakers on Shabbat. Sewing stitches, tearing, trapping, slaughtering, filleting, tanning, scraping hide, making hide, cutting hide into shape. <coughs> Here's the interesting one. Writing two letters, erasing two letters. Building, demolishing, extinguishing a fire, kindling a fire. So no, no baking, no baking. You can't do any baking because you ain't got no fire to bake with, especially in, in those days. Putting the finishing touches on an object. So ladies, if you're going to bake a cake on Friday for Shabbat on Saturday, you better make sure you decorate it on Friday too because you can't finish out anything on Shabbat. You can't put the finishing touches on it. You couldn't transport an object you, uh, between a private place and a public place. You couldn't do it over four cubits or within a public domain. So here we have writing, erasing, tearing, conducting business transactions, shopping, cooking, baking, kindling a fire, gardening, doing laundry, carrying anything more than six feet in a public area. You couldn't do any of these things. Moving anything with your hand. Couldn't do it. Even indirectly, like with a broom. If you broke a bowl on the floor, you had to leave that bowl there all weekend because you couldn't pick it up and you couldn't move it with a broom. Flower vase, candles on the table, you couldn't do it. You couldn't touch them. A rock, your food, you couldn't put the raw food into a pot. You couldn't touch anything. A button that fallen off your shirt, you couldn't do anything with it. You couldn't move anything with your hands. But they did have some weird exceptions. You could move something with your elbow if you needed to. So if you drop your button, you could maybe rub a little honey on it and bend over and stick that button on your elbow and put that button wherever you needed to. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. You could use your breath and you could move something around if you needed to. So where they had all these laws, all these exceptions, it's kind of, a, it's kind of weird. You just couldn't do anything with your hands. The religious leaders traditions that they had combined with the biblical law became so important to them that 
that <clears throat> as God's actual word, they, they believed that it was really God's actual word that they were giving to all men, all of these 39 extra rules that they had. Jesus stood against these such additions to the law. He rebuked them as teachings of the law. He said to them in Mark, well did Isaiah the prophecy of you hypocrites. He says, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but not with their heart. Their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines and command of men. You leave the commands of God and you hold to the traditions of men. You hold to the traditions of men. I don't think Jesus was holding back when he was when he was speaking these words to these guys. He was pretty upset. They're men's traditions, uh, and there's a lot of them. And you need to make sure that when somebody is, is saying something about these traditions that you can call them out on it, and you know the Word of God and what the Word of God says, and you can plainly take and show them in the Word of God that, well, that's not what that means. You need to be able to show them that they're wrong. And just don't take man's word for it because if that's what you have heard in your past or that's how you were taught or things like that. When I done my first revival, I was 18 years old. I went to, and, this, and this may have been what's, what pushed me away from the church for a little while when I was younger. But when I went to that, when I went to that church and I'd done this revival, I was just an 18-year-old kid. You all know what 18-year-old kids, some of you got eight, had or have got 18-year-old kids. So you know. And, and I just, I dressed in jeans and a nice shirt, and, and, and I thought I was doing it. I had nice shoes on, and I went in there, and I led the music for the week. And at the end of the week, the pastor, he, he kind of called me out and set me aside, and he said, now, now, son, you need to get you a suit. If you're going to be in front of the church, you must wear a suit because you need to look presentable to the church. Wearing these jeans and these, these things aren't what you need to do. And I'm like, thinking to myself, well, where in the Bible does it say, go ye there forth and wear a suit? Because I haven't seen it anywhere. And that may have been what kind of pushed me away from the church for a little while, because I didn't really understand why I could read my Bible and it didn't say these things, but men were challenging me and, and, uh, and saying, you need to do these things. You know, I, Jesus didn't wear suits. Jesus wore a simple garment over the top of his over the top of his ephod, I'm sure, and it wasn't, wasn't much. And then sometimes he threw a sash on, and if you've watched The Chosen, you know that at the end of season two there, he gives the, uh, he's getting ready to give the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and he throws on a nice blue sash, but he's still got the same things on, wearing sandals. You know, and I even thought, well, maybe, maybe somewhere in Timothy or Titus when it starts talking about the preacher being above reproach maybe that has something to do with wearing a suit or something like that but that's not it it's not it's not those are some men's traditions that have been formed it's not in the scripture and i can't find it anywhere if you can find anywhere it says i need to wear a suit show it to me and i'll start wearing a suit but i'm probably not going to wear one all the time matter of fact when i started preaching and, and and sharing god's word somebody said you need to get two suits one for burying and one for marrying so, and, and, and I've, I've got many suits because sometimes I have to wear a suit when we sing. But when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, he was also challenging these religious leaders. He was, he was uh, questioning the, 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 the good and the evil 
part of the Sabbath. Which is better? Which is more lawful to do? Is it more lawful to do good? Is it more lawful to do evil? To save a life or to kill a life? The leaders remained silent and they refused to answer Jesus. Uh, His healing gave them the answer. Doing good and saving lives is what's lawful. Even on the Sabbath. Using the Sabbath rule to do evil or to kill is an ungodly perversion of the law. It's an ungodly perversion of the law. But isn't that exactly what the Pharisees did? They perverted the law so that they could kill our Lord and Savior. They took the law and they perverted it to make it what they needed. They did exactly that. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. They wanted to to kill Jesus for breaking the law that he had established. And, And when they did finally do the deed, they made sure to clean it all up before the Sabbath, didn't they? They made sure it was all cleaned up Friday evening by 3.30 before the Sabbath started. You know, (coughs) compare the the complexity and the micromanaging of the Pharisees' rules with the original rule of God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall do your labor and all your work, but on the seventh day it is the Sabbath to your Lord, your God. And on it you shall not do any work. Not you, your daughters, your your male servants, your female servants, your animals, your foreigners, any of those. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the seas, and all that was in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. It was simply man-made tradition that defined Jesus' healing as work. It was man-made traditions that defined Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. As work. So when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, he was challenging the Pharisees. Uh, he was challenging their beliefs as, as being from man and not from God. You know, another reason Jesus healed on the Sabbath was to remind people of why God instituted the Sabbath day of rest to begin with. The Sabbath was meant to benefit people. It was meant to be a day of rest. It was a day meant to cease from your working and your toiling. And it was a day that you could go and you could glorify God. In, in one other incident with Jesus and the Pharisees on the Sabbath, Jesus tells, uh, tells them this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God made the Sabbath for us to rest on, for us to enjoy and to appreciate. Not the other way around. Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. So remember that when you choose what you do on the Sabbath. The Sabbath helped people recuperate, both mentally and physically. After a hard week of work, God knew that his people needed some rest. I mean, we need rest. We need a day that's set aside that we can really, truly rest and focus our attention and focus our thoughts back on God. This world distracts us enough, and we don't need those distractions in our lives every single day. We need to focus at least one day a week on God, if not every day. They needed to redirect and focus their daily routines and focus it back on God. It was a time of refreshing, and it was a time of healing. Jesus healed on the Sabbath was therefore very much compatible with what God's purpose for the Sabbath was. It was for regenerating, renewing, resting, healing. Confronted with Jesus' undeniable power of healing to restore. And that's something all in itself. These guys are seeing 
miracles after miracle Jesus do. Restoring a man's hand, straightening up a woman, restoring a man who had been crippled for, for many, many years at that pool that day. And it was all done on the Sabbath. He confronted them with his power. The religious leaders, they, they just passed up their chance to reflect on the possibility that they were doing wrong. Instead, they just dug their heels in a little bit deeper, didn't they? But I guess it was really all part of God's plan. They doubled down on their man-made, not God-made position. Their stubbornness is, is a good reminder for us. It's a good reminder that we need to examine our beliefs and ensure that they are biblical and in line with the Word of God. How about this right here? Cleanliness is next to godliness. How many times have you heard that in your lifetime? How many times has somebody quoted you that verse? Well, I'm going to tell you one thing. That's not a verse in Scripture, but people will quote it as a verse in Scripture. Now, cleanliness is <coughs> next to godliness. I'll tell you that there is some passages in the Bible that will tell you that being clean is important. And that's, biblically, that's a biblical foundation. It's there. But the words cleanliness is next to godliness is found nowhere in Scripture. Nowhere in the Bible, but yet people, like I say, they will quote it. So be careful what you say is from God and what's not from God or what's from his word unless you're able to open it up and prove to somebody this is what the word of God says. God says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But do we keep just that one day a week holy? Is that what we're supposed to do? Do we just worship one day a week? You know, God tells us to be holy because he's holy. And I believe that's a command. I believe that's a command not just for the day, not just for one day a week, but that's a command for every second, every minute of the day that we are to be holy because God is holy. That's a daily second-by-second second command. We are to live up to God's holy standard every day. We are to keep his holy standard in our lives every minute. We are to meet if we're to meet that New Testament standard. So what is, the, what is the New Testament church? When did the New Testament church meet? Well, if you look at Acts 2, verses 46, 47, it tells you exactly when they meet. What did they do? It says this right here. So continually, with one accord, in the temple, they met. And the breaking of bread from house to house. So daily they met in the temple. Daily they met at each other's houses. Daily they ate their food with gladness and the simplicity of a heart. Daily it says they praised and found favor with other people. It says, actually not other, it says all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Does this church look like a New Testament church? Tough question, folks. Does this church look like a New Testament church? According to the scriptures, it doesn't. It doesn't meet that standard that they were meeting daily in the temple. They met every day. They worshiped God every day. They praised God every day. Every day, they fellowshiped with each other, and they praised the Lord, and they worshiped Him. We're far from what the New Testament church started out to be. How have we gotten that far? It, it, and it's surely because of 
we didn't keep the Sabbath. Is that it? I mean, the word tells us that we're supposed to, to meet daily at the, as a new church. And, and here's the powerful thing of that whole, whole scripture right there. They were meeting daily, and guess what the Lord was doing? He was adding to their numbers continually because of what they were doing in honor of what they should have been doing, which is meeting daily in the temple, meeting and eating in each other's homes, and doing it happily and with the simplicity of their heart, praising the Lord daily, they'd done this. And when they'd done that, the Lord added to their numbers. Is there anything wrong with worshiping on Saturdays, the Jewish Sabbath? Absolutely not. But we should worship God every day, not one day. God didn't set one day aside for us to worship. He set one day aside for us to rest, to recuperate, to heal, to get, to get physical and mental healing so that we could go back out into this sorry old world, worshiping and praising him, giving him thanks for everything, and going out there and sharing a gospel message with everyone. Here's the thing. There is freedom in Christ. Galatians 5.1 says, Steadfast, therefore, in liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Christ has made us free, so don't get tangled back up in the law. The law pointed to the fact that we needed a Savior. Should Christians practice the Sabbath? Should they practice keeping the Sabbath? That is, not working on Saturdays? If a Christian feels led to do so, absolutely. If God is telling you that you need to keep the Sabbath, then you need to keep the Sabbath. If he's convicted you to keep the Sabbath, then do it. Because Romans 14.5 tells us this, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. You need to be fully convinced in your mind what you should do about the Sabbath day. If God is convicting you to keep the Sabbath, then by all means, you need to be keeping the Sabbath or you're doing something you know you should be doing and you're not. And what is that? That's sin. That's sin. However... If you think you should keep the Sabbath and you're convicted by God to do that, then by all means you do it. Be fully convinced that that's what God has you. But however, those who choose to practice the Sabbath, if you practice keeping the Sabbath, you should not judge those that don't keep it. The Bible tells us this right here. So let not one judge you in food or in drink or regarding festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Don't judge somebody else because they're not keeping the Sabbath because they're not convicted to. And further, those who do not keep the Sabbath should avoid being a stumbling block for those who are trying to keep the Sabbath. The Bible also tells us, be, but be aware, at least you somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. So there's some, there's some answers and some questions right there. There's some questions that we've answered right there. Should you keep the Sabbath? Yes, absolutely. You should keep the Sabbath if you're convicted to especially if you're if you're a practicing jew you should be keeping the sabbath day i mean that's still part of jewish law you still need to be doing that if you're a christian does it say anywhere in scripture that you're supposed to keep the sabbath 
No, the law has been changed for the Gentile. The Gentile no longer has to keep the law. Don't let the law be a burden. Don't let the law be a, a, a yoke to you. That's what the scripture tells us. And here, this really sums it all up. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. It sums up the whole deal. It says, you, my brother, were called to be free. You were called to be free in Christ. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in one single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, Galatians says here, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. God instituted the Sabbath as a foreshadowing of the complete rest that we find in Jesus Christ. It's a foreshadowing. That is, he blessed it, he sanctified it, he made it holy. And here we see the symbols of Christ as our Sabbath rest. The holy, perfect Son of God who sanctifies and makes holy all who believe in him. God sanctified Christ just as he sanctified the Sabbath day. And he sent him into the world to be the sacrifice for our sin. In him we find complete rest from our labors our self-efforts because he alone is holy and righteous. God says he made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become his righteousness, the righteousness of God. Now we can cease from our spiritual labors and we can rest in him, not just one day a week, but every day of the week and always. Jesus is our Sabbath rest, in part because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one that instituted the Sabbath. Matthew 12, 8 tells us that. God incarnate, he decided the true meaning of the Sabbath because he created it, and he is our Sabbath rest in the flesh. When the Pharisees criticized him for healing on the Sabbath, Jesus reminded them in Matthew 12 that they... Even they, sinful as they were, would not hesitate to pull a sheep out of a pit on the Sabbath. Jesus came to seek and save his sheep, those lost sheep. Jesus came uh, to pull the sheep from the pits because I, you know how I know? Because I was one of those sheep. I was one of those sheep that was in the pit and I was stuck up to my neck in that mire. And Jesus reached down and he pulled me out of that pit. He called me, and I heard his voice, and I followed him, just like the scripture says, into my Sabbath rest. He provided for me by paying for my sins. And he, and he will, and he can do the same for you. He'll pull you out of that pit. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus was reinstating the principle that the Sabbath rest was instituted to relieve man of his labors. Just as he came to relieve us, our attempts of achieving our own salvation by our own works. We no longer rest for only one day, but we forever cease our labor to attain God's favor. Jesus is our rest from works. Jesus is our rest from works. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Just as he is the door to heaven, there we will rest in him forever. His grace is sufficient, and we no longer 
need the law. That doesn't mean we should ignore the law, though. The law's still there. It still points to Christ each and every day. And thank God that we got grace instead of the law. Amen? Hebrews 4 is really the the definite passage regarding Jesus as our Sabbath rest. The writer of Hebrews, he, he says, enter in to the Sabbath rest provided by Christ. After three chapters of explaining and telling us that that, uh, Jesus is higher than the angels, that Jesus is our great apostle, that Jesus is our great and high priest, the writer pleads with us not to harden our hearts against him. As their fathers hardened their hearts against the Lord in the wilderness because of their unbelief. God denied that generation access into the Holy Land, into their rest, because of what they did. And he says, they shall not enter my rest. And in the same way, the writer of Hebrews begs us, as his readers, not to make the same mistake that the forefathers did, that by rejecting God, Sabbath rest in Jesus Christ. He says to them, so then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience that's hebrews 4 9 through 11 so then there remains a sabbath rest for god's people and its name is jesus christ there is no other sabbath rest besides jesus christ he alone satisfies the requirements of the law he alone provides the sacrifice that atones for our sins god plan is for us to cease from our labors, from our own works, trying to save ourselves. We dare not reject this one and only way, as John 14, 6 says. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. He is our way to salvation. He is our Sabbath rest. And I want to close with this story out of Numbers 15. Numbers fifteen thirty two through 36. This happened when the Israelites were, were still in the desert. They found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering the wood, they brought him to Moses and to Aaron and all the people, and they held the man under guard, and they did not know what to do with him. And then the Lord said to Moses, This man must die. All the people must kill him with stones outside of the camp. So the people took him outside the camp. They killed him with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. I'm not telling you you can't keep the Sabbath day. But if you're going to keep it, you better keep it to the letter. You better keep it to the law. You better keep it to every single thing that you're supposed to do because that's what that Sabbath does. If you fail, you die. This is God's just reaction. This is God's just reaction to man when he denies and he rejects his plans through his son, Jesus Christ. A man was found gathering sticks on the Sabbath. In spite of God's plain commandment to cease from all the labor on the Sabbath, this man goes out knowingly and willfully sinning, picking up sticks in broad daylight, in open defiance of the divine authority. The Lord says to Moses, this man must die. And this is how it's going to be for all who reject God's provision 
in Jesus Christ. Each and every man who rejects Jesus Christ is going to be carried outside of the camp, and they're going to be stoned. They're going to be thrown into a pit of fire, and they're going to die over and over and over in a place called hell because they rejected who Jesus Christ was. You know what? I like to have been there for all the miracles that the Pharisees got to see. All the power of God right there in the form of man. And they missed it. They missed it. They themselves couldn't keep it. Matter of fact, in Matthew 20, or Matthew 5, verse 20, it says that you will not enter the kingdom unless you can do better than what the Pharisees have done. If you can keep the law better than they. If you can do that, then you can enter the kingdom of heaven. But I'm glad I've got a God who says, my grace is sufficient. My love is sufficient for you. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He sent us a way that we can have our Sabbath rest. He sent us a way that we can have salvation. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. There's no amount of work that you'll ever be able to do to enter into God's rest on your own. You have to believe in Jesus. You have to give your life to Jesus. You have to believe that God sent him to this earth, born of a virgin. You have to believe that he lived a sinless life, and you have to believe that he died on a cross for your sins. You need to believe that he did raise again from the dead, and that one of these days he is coming back to get us, and he is going to restore us fully to what God intended for man in the garden. I don't know what it's going to be like. We were talking about this earlier, me and Brenda were. But one of these days we're going to have that day of rest, that peace that passes all understanding because we believe in the name of Jesus Christ. We believe that he is God's son. If you're here tonight with every head bowed, every eye closed, and you have not given your life to Christ, don't be the man that gets carried out of the camp and stoned and dies because they've rejected who Jesus was. Our Bible spells it out plain and clear that he was the man that come and done the miracles. He was the man who created the Sabbath. He is the man who we need to believe in. Tonight, if that's you, these altars are open. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to show you how, in Scripture how you can give your life to Christ. How you can earn that day of rest by just saying, I believe in Jesus. No matter what you can do, will ever earn your way, but you can say it. I believe. And that's going to get you there. I believe in Jesus. I believe who he was. I believe he was God's son. If that's you tonight, come forward. As the instruments play, we won't tarry long. These altars are open for you Christians. You know, when it comes to those questions that we have that are tough to answer, should we keep the Sabbath? Yes, absolutely, we should. Do we have to keep it as Christians? No, you don't. And it's all because of a man named Jesus. All because of his grace. All because of his love. Don't let that be a stumbling block to others. Don't let the simple things, don't let the law separate you from the love of Christ. Give your heart to him tonight if you're lost and undone. Because I promise you that one day, one day God's going to judge all those who have rejected Jesus as Lord and who have rejected Jesus as Christ. You may be here tonight. You may be saying, I've got it all taken care of, Brother Dave. I've got it all worked out. 
What are your fruits showing? What is your life showing? Is, is your life reflecting that you have Christ in your life? Or are you just here checking boxes? Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've given us. Father God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, that you've sent him to be our Sabbath rest, that you've sent him to be the way of salvation, the only way that we can that we can get back to a restored relationship with you. No amount of religion is going to do it. Only a relationship will suffice. Father, if there's one here tonight that has not given their life to Christ, I hope that they will I hope that they will see that they need Jesus in their life. I hope that they will reach out to somebody and ask for that. Ask for the help. Ask for the direction that they need to get to you. Father, we just ask that you are with our prayer time tonight. We ask that uh, you hear our prayers and hear these uh, requests lifted up, Father God. We ask that you answer our prayers in the, in the way that you see fit, Father. Your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.